Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Madeline Jouar. She is a current resident of California after growing up in Edmonton, Canada. 14 years ago, she started a travel company, and she has also lived in Sweden, Italy, and other places in the U.S. and Canada. So I'm really excited to talk about different cultures and what she's got going on. So Madeline, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Sarah. Um, I think I, yeah, I've always been like a I've always had wanderlust. So yeah, I grew up in Northern Canada in uh, Edmonton, where, you know, when I was a kid going to the bus stop um, in elementary school, we would listen to the radio and listening for how many seconds it would be before exposed skin would freeze. And that's like, that was my normal reality. I was like, well, before you go stand at the bus stop, you need to know how to cover up your skin. And cause you don't want to get frostbite. Like frostbite was like part of our daily winter conversation. Right. Um, so that was normal to me. And I was in um, Edmonton until I was uh, 18, but um my parents were very uh, focused on giving me an international upbringing. And so we hosted so many exchange students. I lost count. We hosted three or four for a year. Um, we hosted, we were part of, we, we, my mom was involved in um, Interculture Canada, which is also known as the American Field Service, AFS. Um, so we always had, we'd have people come for a weekend, we'd have them come for a week, like there was always this revolving door of international students um, in our house. Um, and so that was just part of my upbringing. It was just normal to have a foreign person in my house. And I, um, you know, I was a pretty, just a naive kid in a sheltered area. And I remember asking our Swiss exchange student, I was like, I have a question for you. And she's like, okay. And I was like, do you have microwaves in Switzerland? And she was like, oh, stupid Canadian children, you know? Um, so really I was starting at the basics. Um, the other thing my parents did is they enrolled me in French immersion in kindergarten when I really didn't have a choice. They were just like, you need to learn another language. Um, and Canada has two official languages. One is English, one is French. So it's actually not that hard to find a French speaking immersion program, even though where I grew up, it was Anglophone um, Canadian. But um, that being learning French and then getting French fluency opened so many doors for me later on, so many doors. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, and my then my mom said to me, um, you know, when you are 18, once you graduate, you will be going on an exchange. Like it wasn't like, do you want to, what do you think? It was like, prepare now because you will be going on an international exchange. Um, so that was again, something that I was just like, well, I guess this is just what you do. You know, you just graduate from high school and you go out, live with another family in a foreign country. Um, and it was a, you know, it was, a life-changing experience that, um, as you mentioned, I started a travel company 14 years ago and my international exchange was to Italy. 
And that started the Italy travel and my, my travel company is now an Italy travel company. So that's the beginning of, those were all the pieces that kind of kicked things off. And so you're now in California, which frostbite is, is not a thing. So I'm never leaving. <laughs> never. My poor children, they're going to be, they're not going to be able to move anywhere else. So did you like the cold temperatures of Canada then? No, but <laughs> I didn't realize that I thought that was normal. I thought, you know, and I didn't, people would look at me strange. Like when I was like, well, you, you got to test, you know, you can't have exposed skin. You could fr get frostbite. This is, you got to check before you go outside. And people would be like, really? You know? And then I was sort of like, oh, not everyone does this. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is the 11th place I've lived, but it's by far like all the other places I've lived were also pretty cold. I mean, I lived in Sweden and, um, and so I really, when I first came to California and I was, I'm in Northern California near San Francisco. So it really doesn't ever get very hot and it doesn't ever get very cold. Like it basically never gets down to freezing. And then it, like it was, um, this week it was like 90 degrees Fahrenheit and people were like, oh my God, like everybody was dying because it never gets this hot and no people don't have air conditioning typically. And, um, but uh, when I first got here, so so we moved here from Chicago. It took me two and a half years. Every single morning, I'd wake up and I would look outside and I would say, "Oh, what a beautiful day!" It took me two and a half years to start taking it for granted and being like, "Yeah, another beautiful day. Oh, another beautiful day." Um, and I would walk around my neighborhood and I had never seen flower the flowers that grow in my neighborhood. I had only ever seen in like flower shops. I was like, oh my God, those are lilies. Those are rose. I mean, like the flowers around here are unbelievable. So yes, I'm very grateful to be here. That is truly great. So why did you choose Italy for your exchange after high school? So I was in the very lucky position that because my mom was so involved in Interculture Canada, um, because we'd hosted so many exchange students, I basically got my first choice and everybody wanted Italy and France. Um, and actually, so it wasn't necessarily my first choice. So Russia was just opening up and I was a little bit, um, well, naive, but also had that wanderlust. And I was like, oh, Russia's opening up. I'll go to Russia. And my mom was like, eh, this is not such a good idea. You know, so she kind of steered me into like Western cultural places. Um, but yeah, I got my first pick, which was Italy. Um, so yeah, I was lucky that I, um, that I was chosen for that. And so what was that first experience like in Italy for you? Um, so it was a lot, it was very interesting. Um, I grew up in a family where my dad is an atheist and my mom is, um, spiritual, not overly religious, but grew up sort of going to church on Easter and Christmas and still goes, she's part of a United church. She lives in Vancouver, she's part of a United church, and, but she really goes for the community and for the music. So I grew up in a, and I didn't, I'd never read the Bible. I just didn't have any sort of religious education or anything. And so I go to this Roman Catholic country and I move in and I'm an exchange student in this Roman Catholic family. 
Um, and my name, by the way, is what, well, I changed it now, but my name as a, when I was born was Mary Madeline because both my grandmothers were named Mary and my mom didn't think Madeline Mary sounded good. So they named me Mary Madeline, even though nobody ever calls me Mary. My name is not Mary. My, it was never intended to be Mary. But when you go to Italy, you, Mary Madeline translates into Maria Maddalena, which is the same as Mary Magdalene. And so they were like, why would your parents name you? after horror from the Bible, we're all confused. So that was not a good, you know, start. Um, and then I just really, um, there were some things that my host family, my first, I changed families cause it was a pretty traumatic, um, experience in the first host family. They were very, um, you know, I was 18 and my host sister was 16 and they just were, um, a little controlling and just very limited. I had a lot of freedom when I was at home and I could kind of go out by myself and they didn't want me to go by. I was in a, yeah, I was in a town outside Milan called Monza. So it was a pretty small town, um, but they didn't want me going out by myself. And so, and then there was a religious thing. And um, so I actually ended up changing families um, and I was so stressed out at that fact. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't make this connection, but coincidentally my appendix burst or it started leaking um i was so stressed out in that family and my appendix was leaking i had to have an emergency appendectomy when i was there um and then when i got out of the hospital i was like i need to change families um and then i got put into another family who basically were the opposite end of the scale they could not have cared less like the people, the organization was like, we need someone who um, can take this person. It was like right before Christmas. And they were like, oh, sure, bring her in. And like the parents were about to get divorced and they had three kids who were just like all over the place and they had a bunch of dogs and they were just like, you go and come whenever you want. Like if we see you, we see you. If we don't, don't just tell us if you'll be at dinner. So then I had, you know, then I was like, woohoo, you know, party. Um so it was one extreme to the other, but the year ended up being a fantastic year. Uh, lots and lots of eye-opening experiences. Of course. Now I'm kind of curious, what was it like going to a hospital in a foreign country? So um, I have to give a plug here to Italy because, um, so Italy, like Canada or socialist countries has like the um, socialized medicine for the residents and then there's a two-tier system basically where if you have to go into the private hospital um so i didn't i saw the private hospital and i always tell my italy travel clients you know i'm like if you end up in the hospital do not worry you're going to get world-class treatment like the doctors were fantastic i mean i should also say i've only had two hospital stays in my life and both were in italy one was for the appendix and one i had a cyst on my knee and I had to have knee surgery. So I don't even know. I've never even, I had two children, didn't stay overnight in hospitals. I've never stayed overnight in a Canadian hospital or an American hospital, only two Italian hospitals, but it's world-class care. Um, the challenge is the communication because, um, you know, I speak fluent Italian, I've taught Italian, but it's a whole different um, set of words. It's a whole different vocabulary that I that didn't know and didn't learn and never used. And so the doctor comes in and starts talking to you. And that was really a challenge was, was, was the communication. Of course, it's important, right? Like you want to, if somebody's going to slice you, slice you open and operate on you, you really need to make sure that communication is good. So that was a little stressful. 
And so when did you learn Italian? Um, I learned Italian on my year abroad as an exchange student. And it was, I had a real advantage in having French because the difference between French and Italian, the leap, if you already speak one romance language to learn, like, I think I learned Italian in three months. I mean, it was, French is so close to Italian. The grammar is very similar. The words are very similar. I mean, you could take a French speaker and they can probably already understand, you know, a third of what's being said in Italian. So I had huge, huge um, advantage in, in having that French background. Um, and then, and then people tell me I have a good ear. So I think I was lucky with that too. Yeah. So can you take us through your additional travels post that first year in Italy and where you've lived and stayed? Yeah, sure. Um, so after that first year in Italy, I went back to Canada and went to university, um, and that was in Kingston, Ontario. Um, and I really wanted to keep going back to Italy. So I went back for a summer as a nanny, and then I went back for another summer. Um, I got a job as, um, well, my job title was athletic coordinator. Um, and basically I went with this really rich family um, on vacation and they went to Saint-Tropez, which was in France, but I was with this Italian family. There were actually two families. And so there were four kids and they had rented this like estate where they each had a house and there was a, there was a tennis court and a pool and a pool house. And I was in the pool house and there was a nanny and a chef and a chef's assistant. And I was the athletic coordinator. And when they hired me, they were like, well, you'll be good because the nanny is Scottish. And so we want, so she has a really strong Scottish accent. So we want you with your Canadian American accent to speak to the kids so that they have that experience. And I was like, well, what, what's the job as an athletic coordinator? And they're like, well, you know, you have to swim with them. And I'm like, well, I'm not a swim teacher, but I can swim. Like the kids were like two and four or three and five or something. So I was like, that's fine. And make sure they don't drown and splash around. And then they were like, and you need to give them, teach them how to play tennis. And I was like, I don't play tennis. And in Italy, everybody of a certain cultural level plays tennis. And so they were like, oh, you probably play tennis. And I was like, no, real, like I really don't play tennis. And they were like, oh, you'll be fine. And I was like, seriously, like I don't even know how to score. Like I don't, when I hit a tennis racket, I hold it vertically and I like, push if the ball is high I hold the thing straight up and I hit it high and if the ball is low I like squat down but like I don't hold the tennis racket horizontally ever like I only hold it like it I literally like literally I'm like entertaining on the tennis court because of that but they just didn't believe me they were like oh everyone has tennis lessons you're just being modest modest and I was like Nope, really don't. So anyway, we get to Saint-Tropez and they're, and these kids come out and they're dressed in like Armani clothes for the like Armani tennis clothing. Like they have the little tennis skirts and the tennis shirts and they come out in their tennis rackets. And I'm like throwing the ball, can't throw the ball. I'm missing their tennis rackets. I'm trying to hit the ball with my like wacky tennis swing. And they sort of see me and they're like, okay, you can go. And they bring in a tennis instructor. Um, but I did. So basically I would get up late, um, you know, splash around with them in the pool, lounge around the pool deck. Anyway, it was, a, it was a really fun summer job. And I got a, I had, they gave me a car to use and they gave me a little moped to use. And so I'd go into Saint-Tropez on my time off and, you know, tootle around. Um, 
but you're asking me, oh my gosh, you were asking me about um, other travels. So then I went to, I was, I lived in Vancouver um, for a couple of years um, after college and I lived in, and then I got a job actually, I was, um, uh, I got a job when I was in college, um, giving guided tours at a historical fort. And when they, um, in Canada, they're like, okay, you need to speak French and English, but also in this historical fort, you need to speak German. And so, and this is where, like when I said earlier, um, the value of knowing foreign languages opens so many doors. Here's an example of this. So I speak English, French, and Italian. I go apply to be a soldier's wife at this historical fort named Fort Henry near my college. And it was like the dream job for the everybody who was in college wanted this job because it was so fun because you were hanging around college students all the time, all summer. So I go to apply and they say, we need English, French, and German. And I had taken German for three years in high school, and I literally could say, mein Hund is Lumpy, which means my dog's name is Lumpy. Like that's, I really, I could barely speak German. So, but the person in charge was like, we really need tour guides. And so here's the 90 minute tour written down in German, go study it, come back. If you can recite this tour, you can pass. So I was like, I'm super determined. I'm like very determined. Like give me a challenge and tell me I can't do it. And that will like kick my butt in gear. So I went to memorize this tour, came back, delivered the tour, passed the test. And so then they were like, great. Now we also have an Italian tour guide. Cause I was the only Italian tour guide. So like, great. You can do English, French, German, and Italian. So I start doing these tours uh, as a tour guide. And, um, I get like rookie of the year, like two weeks in, I'm like, I get the rookie of summer, rookie of the summer, whatever. Then somebody comes and audits my tours and they came on my German tour and they were like, um, this person doesn't actually speak German. Like I could recite the tour. And then because I was guiding tours in other languages, I knew the questions people asked. So I, when the Germans would ask a question, I would just look for that keyword. And I was like, oh, that's the question they're asking. And I would just spit out my pre-memorized answer in German to whatever question I thought they were asking. So my reviews were coming in and they were like, yeah, you don't speak German. And I was like, well, I told you I didn't speak German when you hired me. But then um, I went to apply for a job um, guiding hiking and biking tours in Europe. And when I went to the interview, they were like, oh, we see that you guided German tours. And I'm like, I did guide German tours. Like that was true. So then they're like, well, everybody wants to be an Italian tour guide. We have lots of those, but we really need someone to do this tour in Germany. Um, and then after you do that, then we'll send you to Italy. So that's how I got a job um, working as a hiking and biking guide in Europe for Butterfield and Robinson. Um, so I was with them for three seasons. I did 15 trips, started in Germany where it was in Bavaria, which is not even German, like the language they speak down there bears no resemblance to the very incy teensy amount of German I actually did know. Um, but anyway, as promised, I did the one trip for them and then they sent me to Italy. And then I was um, in Italy doing hiking and biking trips um, for them for uh, about a year and a half. It was three seasons. So it was like spring and then I hung out in Europe in the summer and then fall. And then I hung out in the winter and then spring again. Um, so, um, and then 
um, on one of my hiking and biking trips, right when I was getting fed up, I was like, my clothes were covered in bicycle grease. I was tired of having no address. Um, I met somebody on one of my trips who was like, what do you want to do after this? And I said, well, I want to get into international operations because I thought that sounded sexy. I didn't even really know what it was, but I was like, well, that sounds fun. And she was like, oh, well, when you're ready, when you're done, come and work for me. And I was like, well, what do you do? Um, anyway, long story short, I went to work for her, moved to New York. And then um, I was with that company and they sent me from New York to Sweden and then from Sweden back to Italy and then from Italy back to Boston or to Boston. So I think that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I think that might cover it. All the destinations. No, then I moved to Chicago. I think that covers all the destinations. Yeah. So it's really great to hear all of those stories and how like everything with learning German and just kind of, you know, the tennis story. Um, it sounds like some of these trips were just such great experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of these things where when you look back, you can see the path, but looking forward, you could never predict like you can't tell where it's going to go. But looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, that led to that, that led to that, that led to that. Um, yeah, it was, it's, I've just, you know, had fantastic opportunities, basically, land in my lap. Um, and even the inter the job at international operations, it turned out to be really fun. I was like, this is great, you know. Yeah, so now you've settled into California. Are you still traveling? Yeah, so um, I have my mom is originally from Minnesota, so I have dual Canadian and American citizenship. And then um, when I was living in Sweden, I ended up living in Sweden for almost two years. Um, and I met my husband in Sweden, who was also um, an expat. We were in this big group of professional pre-kids, so professional salary, pre-kids, no dependents window, which is the best. I mean, you're not a poor student. You have a professional salary. You can have so much fun um, and you, you're not getting sucked dry for, you know, your dependents. So, yeah, I met my husband who is British of Indian descent. Um, and then his sister married um, someone from Switzerland. So we always, I always joke that we're always traveling because we're going to see my family in Canada. I have a lot of family in the U.S., his family in India, his sister in Switzerland, Italy for obvious reasons, and then his mother up until um, just six months ago was in the U.K., um, which is where he grew up. So I would say we always go from like, you know, Canada to Italy to the U.K. to Switzerland to India, and then by the time we cycle through everything, we have to start over again. So we were always traveling, but literally we went to, we went on a, we did an African safari last May. Um, but literally I would say to people before that, like we just keep going to the same places all the time, you know? Um, so yeah, those are the kind of places that we just keep cycling through. And is there somewhere that you really want to go that you haven't had the chance to go to yet? Hmm. You know, I've never been um, to South America. I've been to Mexico, but never south of Mexico. So I would love to, there's a lot of places in South America I'd love to go to. 
Um, but for me, it's really become like the reason that I move places is because um, I really want to settle in and live there and get to know people and get rhythms and routines. And so um, that's why I like relocate to places rather than, um, you know, it's so it's so much better when you can, you know, for example, when I was in Sweden, it took me about nine months to learn Swedish. Um, but once I learned Swedish, the whole it's a whole different experience. The whole world opens up. You know, you can read the headlines on the newspaper and you can actually attend dinner parties with Swedish people who are speaking in Swedish who aren't like politely, you know, in English for you. Um, and so getting that depth of of that window into the culture is is um makes it a whole different experience um so yeah when i travel it's usually to see people um but i do one day plan to be living in places sort of longer term and maybe that maybe longer term is a month or two um but um i I would love to go back um to and do another safari absolutely we just did south africa because it was pandemic and we were like, where can we go? There were a lot of places that were shut down and South Africa was one place where they were allowing Americans to fly into. So, um, and we couldn't cross any borders. We couldn't go to Tanzania or any anywhere else because every time you crossed a border, you had to have a COVID test and all that stuff. So we just stayed within South Africa, but it was phenomenal. I would go back in a second. Yeah. So have you been able to retain the languages that you've learned after leaving those countries? That's a great question. Um, You only retain them if you can use them. And what I have found is outside of Sweden, Swedish is not a very useful language. Um, So no, I could not speak Swedish. If you started speaking Swedish to me right now, I would not be able to answer at all. so which is kind of a bummer but it's also because every swedish person i meet outside of sweden speaks english and so i'm you know it's it's uh they just have have not had a need for it um the italian i maintain partly because um what i've made a lot of really good friends who were who are italian and we our relationship was built in italian and so as as it turns out all of them now speak great english um but i've been friends with them for you know 25 years and so our relationship is just in italian so that's how we communicate so i actually use my italian pretty like daily basically um and then the french is it takes me a minute to switch into french but once my brain gets into it it's fine i think it's embedded enough and you know um it's in there but um but yeah you do have to use it or lose it yeah did you say that you have kids? I have teenagers. <laughs> I have a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old. So do they mm-hmm. know other languages? So when my daughter, my 17-year-old daughter was born, we were living in Chicago, and I was absolutely determined to get her into a immersion, a language immersion program. And I, it doesn't matter what language. I was like, any language will do because it just, when you... Um, when you speak a second language, it just gives you um, the confidence to know that you can learn another language, you know, and I wanted my kids to have that confidence. So I was like, I didn't care if it was Chinese or Arabic or, you know, but I could not get her into any language immersion programs. I just couldn't. There just were no um, available ones. Can you hear my dog drinking water? He's super thirsty. (laughs) 
He's like right beside me, enthusiastically lapping up his water. Sorry about that. That's okay. Is your is your dog a big dog? Yeah, he's sixty seven pounds. Yeah, he's a big dog. Yeah. So he drinks water loudly. Um, but anyway, with my daughter, I just could not get her into any language learning programs. And so signed her up for French classes, you know, twice a week for an hour. Um, and she did that for 10 years, I think. Um, and then when we moved to California, our local public school had a Spanish immersion program. And my daughter was, we moved when she was in just, just going into first grade. So she was already too old to get into the kindergarten, um, Spanish immersion so when my son, uh, so she went into the English program. And then when my son, who's two years younger, came up for kindergarten, we put him in the Spanish immersion program. And it was phenomenal. I mean, his level of Spanish surpassed her level of French um, in like three months or something. I mean, if you can get these kids into immersion, it's just, um, they just pick it. They're just sponges, you know, Um but they also, it's a different, learning by immersion means that you pick it up the way you learn English. Like when you learn English, nobody sat you down as a baby and said, no, this is a transitive verb and this is a past participle and this is how you conjugate. Like you just learn from listening and communicating. Whereas when you learn a language in a classroom, they do teach you like, here's the verbs and here's the tenses and this is a preposition. And um, so she knows it in a different way than she knows friends in, in a more sort of structured way than he knows Spanish. He just knows how to speak Spanish, which is super, super useful in the U.S. Definitely. So how, how did you end up specifically in California then? Um, for my husband's job. So when we, um, so we met in Stockholm and we moved to Milan together and we lived in Milan together for two and a half years. And we got married while we were there, except that we didn't get married in Italy. We went to the UK to get married because at the time, if you were not Roman Catholic, it was very difficult to get married in Italy. Now it's like a wedding destination, wedding place, and there's a whole industry of wedding planners and you want to get married in Italy. It's very easy. But at the time I got married, which was um, actually 20 years ago this summer, um, it was not that easy. So we um, then when we left uh it, it my my work uh, visa expired and so we had to leave so and he's because he's British and we could go and I had Canadian American citizenship we could pick to go to the UK Canada or the US um, and we chose Boston for my company said you can go and my company said you'll have a job anywhere like anywhere you go um, you know just we'll we'll figure it out so he chose Boston so we moved to Boston and then he got a job um, in Chicago at a startup. So we moved to Chicago and then he got a job here. Um, and meanwhile, I had started my Italian travel company, so I really could work from anywhere. So that's how we ended up here. Yeah. And what is your Italian travel company? What do you do? Um, so it's called Italy beyond the obvious. Um, and it started because I was the family and friends, Italy travel planner for a decade before I started this company. So when you work as a tour guide, guiding biking tours in Italy, hiking and biking tours, after that minute, everybody was like, where should I go? What should I do? Where should I go? What should I do? 
So they would contact me and just say, Madeline, I'm going to Italy and please help me with my Italy trip. And I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I was on TripAdvisor on those forums, giving people advice. I would be on there for two hours, doling out Italy advice. Here's what you should do. Here's where you should go. Um, And I left my corporate job. Um, When we moved to Chicago, I left that job because that's when I had my daughter. And I was just like, it was too much travel. It was it, at that time, my region, they sort of cobbled together a region for me. And my region was, um, it, w- it was a global role, but I was going to Malaysia on a regular basis, Bedford, England on a regular basis, Reno, Nevada, and Hong Kong. That was my region. Um, and it was 50% travel. It was way too much. I was like, I cannot do this with a child, a new baby. So I quit that job. And I was just doing the Italy free, Italy travel planning on the side. Um, And I had been, you know, I was at that corporate job for about eight years. And so for those, that whole time, I was doing the Italy travel for family and friends on the side. Um, And I started a blog and the blog was called Italy Beyond the Obvious. And it was just free travel advice. It was just like, here's where, where I went, what I did, what I think about Italy. And at the very bottom of the blog, it said, if you want to hire me to plan your Italy trip, contact me or something. It was very um, innocuous, not at all obvious. Um, and then when my kids were, I think they were probably one and three or something like that, I decided to give it more of an official go. Um, and then the blog became the company. Um, and then that was 14 years ago. And at first, my I have a very unique business model. I'm not a travel agent. So travel agents will sell you a package. And that package has one price and maybe it's $20,000. And inside that package are hotels and tours and drivers. But you don't know how much anything costs. All you know is that the package is $20,000. And inside that package, everything is marked up. There's middlemen, those markups. And so the travel agent says, you don't pay me anything, just pay, just buy this package for $20,000 and they get paid from the markups that are inside that package. And I didn't want to do that because I don't need to sell other people's packages. I was already on the ground. I I was like, I'm going to book your trip. Like I'm going to book it for me. You're going to pay me consulting fees, like an accountant or a lawyer or whatever. And then the rest of all the trip costs are, are transparent. And at the time, who knew it was this crazy business model that nobody had ever done in the travel industry before. Um, And so people were like, well, that's not going to work because my fees have to be really high because, um, you know, there's I'm not getting I'm not basing my recommendations to people off commission earning options. I'm going to book an Airbnb or I'm going to book an apartment or I'm going to book you with the local gelato tour, the guy who runs it out of his garage or Um, and so people were like, those fees are really high. And I'm like, but I'm not making more money than I'm not charging more than I would make if I were selling packages. It's just not this nebulous bundle. Um, and people are like, well, that's not done in the travel industry. That'll never work. Um, and now I'm 14 years later and I've got two full-time people working for me and we are turning away business because we're so busy. So it ends up being a great, a great business model. It sounds like it. Have you ever thought about expanding outside of Italy? So I actually started another company because, um, so I did think about expanding outside of Italy. When I first bought the URL, italybeyondtheobvious.com, I thought, well, I'm going to run out of Italy travelers. And so just, just because I thought I would need it, I also bought 
France beyond the obvious, Spain beyond the obvious. I just bought all the URLs because I thought eventually I'm going to need this. Um, and then, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time in France and quite a bit of time in Switzerland. And so then clients inevitably would come back from Italy and would say, do you do any other destinations? And so for a few years, I did France and Switzerland for them. And I would tell them, you know, Italy is Italy beyond the obvious. France is France the bleedingly obvious. Like I can send you to like the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and Versailles and book you a bateau mouche on the Seine. But I, it's my, not, my depth of knowledge of France was just nowhere near my depth of knowledge of Italy. And so what ended up happening is just became extremely time consuming. So I stopped offering it. However, I started a second company because at the same time that clients were saying, who else does what you do for other countries? People were coming to me who found my website who also were doing it anyway. Like there are lots and lots of people like me who are expats who are living abroad, who are doing it anyway for friends and family. And they were like, teach me how to do what you do. You're not a travel agent. Teach me how to set up an online travel business. So I started a second company about three years ago, four years ago, um, where I teach people how to set up an online travel business in eight steps. And it's just the steps I followed. It's like, it, and it's very like um, hands-on. It's not, it's not uh, theoretical. It's like, do this. Okay, you did that. Now do this. Okay, you did that. Now do this. And by the time you get to the end, you have an online travel business. Um, so that company is called Travel Beyond the Obvious. And um, I have a business partner and um, the pandemic was during the pandemic, I, my Italy travel business like stopped, right? Obviously. And so we had our students, our travel beyond the obvious students in a Facebook group um, where I had just been, I had made some videos and I had just said, you all chat amongst yourselves in this Facebook group to support each other because all of you are working on those videos. And I went in and I said, hey, you guys, I have some time. What would you like, do, what, so, do, what do you need? And they were like, we want a certification program. We want that stamp of approval from you that we have built a business that you, you know, that you approve of. And I was like, well, this is perfect because then if you're all certified, I can just send my clients to you. Like if I say that you, yes, the bar is high and you have achieved this bar, then I can just like, without thinking, I can just send my Italy clients to you when they say who else does what you do for other countries. So that was my pandemic project. And now we have, we have a lot in the pipeline, but we have a directory of certified travel experts. And I do, I send, I send the link to my clients. They say, who else does what you do for other countries? I'm like, here's a link to my certified travel experts. Any one of them is amazing. So it's all, um, it's worked out really well. Definitely. Have you gotten the bug to like go on one of their trips that they've planned for somebody? Oh, every time we talk, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to go there. I mean, we have somebody who's an expert in Iceland and every time he, you know, because I have to review their websites and, and we're all in this Facebook group together and talking about trips and every single trip I'm like, oh, I wish I could. And because we always, I always, um, part of the evaluation for the certification is there's a, there's four steps to the certification, but one of the steps is a convince me because these are online businesses. So I'm going to stalk you. I'm going to look at your LinkedIn. I'm going to look at your Instagram. I'm totally going to stalk you as a potential customer before I hire you to, to trust you with my trip. So I have to look at all their Instagrams and all their, and so I follow them. And yeah, so I see tons of photos and tons of 
testimonials and every, I want to travel with every single one of them. Yeah. We've got New Zealand, we've got Mexico, we've got Iceland. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it'll be my, uh, one day, one day I'll get to all those places. Of course. Now, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? Um, I mean, obviously I realize I am, uh, super privileged to be in this position. You know, I have a husband with an income, um, to help. And so I don't need to, you know, a lot of our travel, uh, people you're starting from scratch and this is like a side hustle that turns into a real career where you can really make money, but it takes some time to start up. And, you know, I'm just, this is, um, this has been a mission for me to really um, sort of add a segment to the travel industry. I mean, you can buy a package trip from a travel agent and you can go back to that travel agent year after year. And one year you can buy a trip that for Mexico and another year you can buy a trip for Thailand, or you could come to a travel expert who maybe only does one destination, but, um, and maybe only can work with you one or two times, but is goes super narrow and super deep and super connected to the locals. And this is a mission for me because I feel like, you know, similar to what you're doing with asking so many people of so many diverse backgrounds, um, to help you help everybody connect and understand each other more. I feel like travel does that. And especially travel that connects to the culture and connects to the locals. I mean, getting that connection to another culture is so, so important. It makes you realize, oh, not everybody does things the way that I do. And there are, there are, uh, there are different ways of doing things and they can both be right. And it, it, that applies whether you're talking to a transgender person or whether you're talking to an Italian, like it's someone who's different than you, who are you connecting with and you find overlapping, um, Similarly, you find things where you find mostly things where you're similar and where you both have the same hopes and fears and dreams. And um, it really is helps connect humanity. And so that's my underlying, um, that's the thing that gets me out of bed to, to really support my travel students. Yeah, that's such like a great dose of reality right there with just how all of it works. And I, I meant to ask earlier, did you experience any like major culture shocks in any of your travel? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I would say really two in Italy. Um, number one was um, coming as a female from a position of privilege and the, these exchange programs are already for privileged people. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, but going into Italy, which is very, when I was on my, um, uh, when I was an expat and my, and I was in the international operations role and they sent me to Sweden and then back to Italy. And I was in Italy that time for two and a half years. Um, I was in my late twenties. And because I was on this expat package, I was a manager that was coming over. Well, in Italy, you basically can't even be a manager until you're 40. And so they were kind of like, A, you're a woman. So what are you doing as a manager? B, you're way too young. And so they really 
kind of were a little bit disdainful. And I was like, you guys, like, I know what I'm talking about. And they were just like, I mean, these are like super nice people. Like, I don't want, it's just, they're in their culture. And they were just like, who are you? Like, we can't get to the place that you're getting. Like, we can't be a manager. You know, we're women. We're not going to be a manager. We're not old enough. Like, how? who are you to have gotten this position? Um, and so there's a lot of cultural stuff that I was sort of dropped into that I didn't, I mean, at that point I had already lived in Italy a few years, but I was working as a hiking and biking tour guide and I was an exchange student and I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the professional office environment. So that was really a shock is that there was just borders, cultural borders that I could not cross. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't because I wasn't qualified. Um, so that was one piece is just the sort of hierarchical, um, nature of, of it that I, that I didn't, um, expect. And, um, the other piece of it is, uh, to really, people always say to me, Oh, I want to move to Italy. And I'm like, living in Italy is very, very different than traveling there. You travel there, you get gelato and pizza and the Dolce Vita and spread spritz and, you know. Um, and it's a wonderful life. You move there and the bureaucracy just whacks you across the the head. I mean, it's, um, you know, one little teeny anecdote I can share with you is I had to get my permesso di soggiorno, which is your permission to stay. Um, and there were, you know, eight steps to this application. And step two was to take this piece of paper, um, a form, and handed it in an office and I had to have my uh, documentation, my um, ID, and I had to have a photocopy of my ID. And so, and this office is only open on Tuesdays from three to 4 p.m. That's it. Tuesdays from three to four. That's it. So first of all, I'm stressing out because I'm like, I'm going to have to miss work. Oh, I'm so stressed out. And, um, and then I said this to my boss. He's like, yeah, just go. Like the Italians all know. He's like, of course you have to miss work. Like it's only open from three to four. So and I was like, okay, so I show up at this office at three, take a number, wait my turn, get to the front of the line, I hand them my paperwork, and they're like, you need the photocopy of your ID. And I'm like, well, you have a photocopy machine right behind you, would you mind just like popping my ID in there and make a photocopy? And she's like, no, we don't do that here. She's like, you have to leave, go around the corner, there's a photocopy machine, pay 10 cents, come back. I'm like, but I can't make it. And she's like, yeah, come back next week, you know? So that was like one teeny tiny example. I had to delete, I had to go get change. I had to go use a photocopy machine. I had to come back the next week with my photocopy. And, um, and that's a tiny example of something that happened a hundred times. You know, it's just setting up your internet, getting a phone, setting up a bank account, getting a driver's license, buying property or renting property, any kind of anything that involves a contract. Like you think the DMV in the US is bad. It is like, lightning speed compared to the Italian post office. Um, so those were some real eye-opening uh, moments. Yeah, I, I love, I love that anecdote there and, <laughs> and everything you shared, really. Now, Thank you. Of course. Now at the end of all my episodes, I ask my guests a random question. So my question for you is, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a child? You know, I get asked this every now and again, and I do not remember. 
I don't remember what I wanted to be. Um, and it was never anything like I was like, did I want to be like a teacher or a doctor? I never wanted to be anything medical. I'm terrible with bodily fluids. Like I'm just like, um, even having babies in diapers, I was not the best person. Um, yeah, I honestly, I don't remember. I think maybe I, I have to go like dig up a diary or something from my, um, childhood. Cause I have, I'm blanking on it. I don't know. But it's interesting, and I always tell my kids this too. I'm like the job. Maybe this was your experience too. Like the jobs that existed when you were thinking about what you want to be when you grow up, the jobs that you're doing today didn't even exist. Like when you were in middle school, did you imagine that you would be podcasting? Like you probably didn't even know what that was, right? You know. Um, so there's so, and I didn't even know what an operations manager was. It was a job I couldn't even I couldn't even figure out. Like you know, so. Um, I think it's great if people know that they want to be an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer, whatever it is. I think it's great to have that to shoot towards, but I think there's so much serendipity and so many opportunities that if you keep your eye open, um, there's a lot that can just present itself to you. All right. That brings this episode to a close. And if you were wondering, yes, I will be leaving Madeline's links to both of her websites in the description for both of her travel companies, Italy Beyond the Obvious and Travel Beyond the Obvious, if you want to check those out. I will also be leaving her LinkedIn if you would like to connect with her and a link for the American Field Services that she was talking about in terms of the exchange programs, if you're interested in checking that out as well. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast here, our website is in the description as well. It brings you back to all of our previous episodes, resources, social media, along with podcast, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So feel free to go follow those pages. And if you'd like to support the podcast, a link to do that is in the description. And my email is also there if you would like to connect with me or be a guest on the show. So thank you so much, Madeline, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thanks so much, Sarah. It's been so fun. Bye.